Great to see you in the house. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now that Thanksgiving is behind us, we are moving on toward Christmas. And uh, I was thinking about that because uh, Billboard magazine really recently put out their top 10 Christmas songs of all time. Chris, top 10 Christmas songs of all time. And so what I, I thought I would test your knowledge of Christmas songs here for just a minute. And I'm just going to give you the top five, okay? In no particular order, the top five that they identified. And then I'm going to ask you to, to try to come up with one. In fact, uh, I'm actually going to need a, um, I'm going to need somebody to help me with this one. Okay, right, right there. Come on up here. Uh, and she's going to help me out here with, uh, give her a hand, folks. There we go. All right, good. Come on up here. All right. Tell everybody your name. Lexington. Lexington, all right. Say hi, Lexington. There we go. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm going to give you the top five songs so far. No particular order. We'll hear a little sound bite. And then out of those, you tell me which you think is the number one song, okay? So here we go. The first song, I dropped my piece of paper here. The first song here is Christmas Baby Please Come Home by Darlene Love. that song you've heard of it okay all right very good all right white christmas by bing crosby all right uh last christmas by wham christmas gave you my heart okay there we go uh all i want for christmas is you by mariah carey and then they just end it right there I mean, I just, I just want to complete, every time I want to, I want to do that. All right, there we go. And then, uh, and then the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. And so I'm offering this. Okay, all right, those are, those are in the top five. So which do you think is the, out of those five, the number one Christmas song of all time? The last one. The last one, Nat King Cole. All right, is it Nat King Cole? Oh, all right. Y'all help her out. Which which one do you think? <laughs> they all said different ones. All right. Which one do you think? Two. <laughs> White Christmas. White Christmas? That's a great choice. Is it White Christmas? Oh, plot thickens. All right. Who, who, what, do, what do y'all think? All right, I think they say Mariah Carey. You want to try that one? All right. Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Is it Mariah Carey? All right, there we go. So here is a Christmas gift for you. Thanks for playing. Give her a hand, folks. All right, very good. Great job. All right. Well, we are starting a series today called The Song of Christmas. And of course, The Song of Christmas is not something you're going to download this afternoon on your phone. But it is a song that's embedded in the scripture that really is a song that began in eternity past that extends to eternity future. And uh, we're going to look at it today. This song of Christmas, just like any great masterpiece, great orchestral piece, uh, has a prelude. 
And the prelude is found in the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, and particularly in a prophet named Isaiah. So why don't you get your Bible and let's do what we do. Open up God's word uh, with me. If you, got, if you don't have a Bible, there's one right there at your seat. Open up to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to be looking at this passage uh, together, Isaiah 9. Uh, just while you're turning there, let me just remind you that Isaiah is often called the evangelistic prophet because he is quoted so many times in the Gospels. He's quoted 15 times in the Gospels, more than any other Old Testament prophet. Even the book of Isaiah is sometimes referred to as a fifth gospel because so much about Jesus is written in the book of Isaiah. We learn about the lineage of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus. Even the death and resurrection of Jesus is in the book of Isaiah. And that's pretty impressive when you think about that Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so what we're going to be looking at is one of these key passages about Jesus and the birth of Jesus today. All right. Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Say uh, amen if you're with me. All right, this is the word of God. Isaiah 9 verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the east of the Jordan to the Galilee of the Gentiles. All right, so stop right there. Right off at the very beginning, is my mic going out? Sort of, maybe. Should I use this? All right, I'm back on. Let's just leave it here and hope for the best. All right, let me know if that mic falls, okay? Mic drop. All right, here we go. So right off the bat, what we learned is that there's a region he's talking about. He talks about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What is that? If you look at this map, you'll see on the top section there and the purple and the orange at the top, this is where the, the tribes, these are two of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were allotted a portion of land up in the area called the Galilee by the Sea of Galilee up there, that body of water. And so he's saying that this region in the north is gonna be distressed, in verse 1, it says they're going to experience anguish and gloom. You say, well, why is that? Why is this area going to be distressed? Well, to find the answer to that, you have to back up to the last verse of the previous chapter, Isaiah 8. Look at Isaiah 8, verse 22. It says, they will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. What's happening here? Well, when Isaiah was writing this, the land of Israel was separated into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was particularly wicked. I mean, right from the jump, the northern kingdom set up their own idolatrous worship station. They began to worship idols. They didn't want to have anything to do with the God of Israel. In fact, you read in chapter 8 of Isaiah that they were now seeking mediums and spiritists and instead of seeking the Lord, they only had godless kings. And even when God would send them prophets to turn their hearts back to him, they would reject these prophets, oftentimes killing these prophets. And so finally, there was the season of grace was running out and now it was coming a time of judgment. 
So Isaiah was predicting that this time of judgment was coming and with it would come thick darkness and gloom and anguish. And that's exactly what happened. We know from history that 732 BC, Tiglath-Pileser, the king of, of the Assyrian empire came swooping down from the north and devastated the northern kingdom by 722 BC. All those that had survived were hauled off to exile utterly decimating the northern kingdom, never really to be seen again. And this was what Isaiah was talking about, this dark gloom and anguish because of the judgment of God, because they had rejected him so severely. Now, this is a context through which uh, we find this prophecy about the coming of Jesus. Now, you might stop here for a minute and say, well, Craig, why are we talking about this? I mean, it's after all, it's supposed to be Christmas. We're supposed to talk about fun things, right? Happy things, not gloom and anguish. But, but the, the, it's important for us to study this for two reasons. One reason is this passage, which we're about to get to here, is one of the key passages that point us to Jesus. You see, even still today, there are people that claim to be the Messiah. Throughout history, there have always been people that say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. How in the world are you supposed to know which one is real, which one is true, and which one's not? Well, the way that we know is that God has placed embedded in the Old Testament these, these identifying markers, these like, like clues, right? Like a, like a detective comes into a crime scene and he finds the clues and puts the clues together and they, when they all align, they point to the truth in the same way that all these clues of the Messiah scattered out through the Old Testament, when they align, they point directly to the one true Messiah which we know to be Jesus Christ. And this is one of those key clues. So if we're gonna put our hope in Christ, we have to know that Christ really is who we claim to be. And the way we know Jesus is really who we claim to be is that he meets this criteria. He matches the messianic thumbprint that we find in the Old Testament. So we need to know this. We need to study this. But another reason why we need to study this is because just like the people then were in darkness, many of you are in a dark place. And let me just say, I, I, I know this because even though I don't know everybody's grief, I know everybody carries some with them when they come in these doors. Somebody told me one time, they said, Craig, there's a broken heart on every pew. And I think that's really true. Some of you are dealing with marriage challenges, things are falling apart. Just talked to a family this morning about that. Some of you, you've been in the hospital this week. Some of you, this has been the hardest week of your life. Some of you, you're dreading going into Christmas because you know you're supposed to be happy, but you're, you're not. And you're just in a dark place right now. And I, I just want to acknowledge that and say, you know what? This song of Christmas is for you. This song is sung in the dark. This song begins in distress and trouble. And Christmas is not a time when we medicate our pain or we mask our pain. Christmas is a time when we acknowledge it and we find hope in it. And that's what this passage is about, how to find hope in it. So Isaiah is talking to a people in a, in a dark place, but he's going to give them a promise. He's going to give them some promises that they can hold on to that can bring them hope in the midst of it. All right, so I wanna give you three promises today. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot these down. Three promises that I, Isaiah gives them that we can hold on to today to find hope, okay? Three promises. Here's the first one. I want you to write this down. That is the promise 
that a new day is dawning. A new day is dawning. Look at verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, what Isaiah is saying here is he's describing a new day. He's like, you know what? You're in dark place right now, but a new day is coming. And I want you to notice what that new day is going to look like. Look at verse two, circle the word light. There's going to be a light in this dark place. You can't see your way right now, but a light is coming. Look at verse three, circle the word joy there. There's going to be a joy in that new day. It's going to be a joy like when the harvest is brought in. It's going to be a joy like when we rejoice in a victory. It's going to be a time of joy. In fact, look at verse four, underline the phrase oppressive yoke. There's going to be a victory. The oppressors are going to be gone. There's going to be liberty. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be victory again. Even he refers here to the day of Midian. Some of you uh, may remember the story in the Old Testament, how the Midianites gathered around Israel. They're just so vast. No one could defeat them. And God raised up a man named Gideon. Remember that? And he had 300 guys, you know, no way. But God defeated them. He said, just like that, God's going to do it again. God's going to do something you've never seen. God's going to do something miraculous when this new day dawns. This new day is coming. Now, we understand this passage actually better than Isaiah did. Because Isaiah was looking in the future, right? He's looking way in the future. And he said, I, I see a new day coming. I see a new day dawning. But he didn't see all the details of it. Now we are on the, later in history, looking back on it. And we know that this new day dawned at the coming of Jesus. Now you may say, well, Craig, how do you know that the new day dawned at the coming of Jesus? And uh, I want you to write in the margin of your Bible, Matthew 4, 12 through 17. All right, and let me just read to you what the New Testament gospel writer said about this passage of Isaiah, okay? Matthew 4, verse 12. When he heard, speaking of Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and he left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Does that sound familiar? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee, the Galileans, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you see what they're saying? They're saying, you know what, Isaiah was looking in the future, there's a new day dawning, and he said the day dawned at the coming of Jesus. 
They here comes Jesus into that same region, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Here's a picture of what that uh, map looked like in the time of Jesus. See that green area in the Galilee? That's that same region. That's the area where Jesus did the majority of his miracles. This is where Jesus began to show the light. He became a light. He came as a light. In John chapter 1, we read that uh, in him was life, and that life was a light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not opened overcome it. Here comes Jesus, the light of the world. Here comes Jesus, enlarging the nation, just like Isaiah said, no longer is the gospel going to be just for the people of Israel, but he is a God of all nations. And we know that because this is why we plant churches all over the world. They're taking the light of the gospel to the nations. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Many of you may remember Patrick. Patrick was one of our church planters that was here a couple of weeks ago at our global summit. Patrick ministers in Zambia. And uh, he went back. He was so fired up after our summit that he went back and he did an outreach. And here he is preaching. I really like his suit. He's looking pretty good, isn't he? And he's preaching. And the little caption underneath it said, 30 people saved on this particular outreach. Isn't that amazing? And the gospel is going out. That's what Jesus came to set in motion. Here comes Jesus bringing joy to the outcast. Here comes Jesus bringing victory and breaking the chains of sin. All of this was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Basically, the new day dawned at the coming of Christ. You know, people are still looking for a new day. When I talk to people, if you listen to them long enough, they're saying they're, they're hoping for something new. Man, I just wish that my life was different. I wish I could find peace. I wish I could break this addiction. I wish my life, I wish I could start over, they'll say. It's too far, I'm too far gone. There's no hope for me. Here's what I want you to understand. Hope isn't found in a holiday, right? Christmas comes and goes. Hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in Jesus, there is a new day. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are, we are transferred the, from the kingdom of darkness, John says, into the kingdom of his beloved son. The new day comes in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for something new, if you want to turn the page, if you want a new day in your life, you're going to find it in Jesus. And that really kind of leads us to the second promise. Here's Isaiah talking to these people that are desperate. And he says, there's a new day dawning. There's a new day dawning. Well, how will we know? How will we recognize it? Well, there's a new king coming. Look at verse 6. For the child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The new day is going to be ushered in by a new king. Some of you watched a new king being crowned this last May. If you remember that, some of you were glued to your TV sets, you were watching online when King Charles was crowned a new king in the UK. And I remember watching part of that, just like watching a bit of history. And, and what I was so taken back by was the, 
euphoric attitude around it. I mean, just thousands of people packed in the streets and they had a military flyover and there were all these parties and everyone celebrating all the, the things that were happening because they had a new king, right? And, and the reason why they're celebrating is a new king brings in a new day, the hope of the new day. You know, we kind of have that same attitude uh, when New Year's comes, right? Well, maybe a new, it's a new year, right? And maybe the old year will be passed away and maybe, maybe this year is gonna be our, our year of hope, right? But this is what Isaiah is saying. He's talking about kingly language. Look at verse six. The government will be on his shoulders. That's probably the first reference to the kingliness of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And what is this king gonna be like? Well, one is he's gonna be a human king, He's a child that will be born, a son that will be given. He will come in human form. He'll be fully human, but he won't be just human. He won't be like any human. He'll be also God in human form. God in human flesh. Notice the divine titles that are given to this coming king. Look at it. He's going to be called a wonderful counselor. That means he's all wise. He's all wise. Isaiah 55 says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, his ways are a lot wiser than ours. You can't say, well, if I was God, I would do this completely different. Well, you're not, all right? And, and I'm not, and our ways are just like this. And his ways, he just sees it so much bigger than we do. Can't improve on the wisdom of God. He's, he's a wonderful counselor. He's called the mighty God. That is that he's all powerful. Right out beside that, Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Get this, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Maybe Jesus is sustaining all things even now by his powerful word. Colossians 2.9 says, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's a mighty God. He's also called eternal father. That is, that he's all caring. You know, this has kind of tripped some people up. They say, wait a minute, they're talking about Jesus, but he's called eternal father. How, how can Jesus, the son, be called the father? It seems a little confusing. Uh, even, even some have taken uh, this as a proof text to say that, well, there's really not a father and a son to think. They're all kind of a modalist, uh, old, uh, old uh, heresy called modalism was the idea that there's one guy who just kind of appears as a father, then he appears as a son. That's, that's wrong. That's not true. Uh, but, but they point to this, say, well, here is the son called the father. No, 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 no. Hold on just a minute. What does he mean here? He's saying, well, he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. And Jesus is father-like in that through his death and through his resurrection, he brought into being a family, a family of the redeemed, a family of faith. And we're a part of that family through faith in Jesus Christ. I think this is mentioned here in Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. And when you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed or he will see his offspring and he, will, and he will prolong his days and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. There was, there was a seed, there was an offspring being sprung up through the death and resurrection of Jesus and that's those who love him and are part of his family. 
So we're in God's family and we have a father because of what Christ has done. So he's the eternal father. He's also called the prince of peace. You know, that word peace, he is our peace. That word peace is the word shalom in the Old Testament or in Hebrew, which is more than just a lack of conflict. It means that everything is as it should be. That Jesus not only brings a lack of conflict, but he makes things right. First of all, he makes things right between you and God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with our Lord Jesus, Romans tells us. That we're at peace with God vertically because of what Christ has done. But he also one day is going to make everything right in our world. Things are not right now, but they will be one day. He will make all things as they should be. Now I want you to just look at those titles of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, eternal father, prince of peace. Which one of those stands out to you this morning? You may be here and you're trying to make some decisions. You got some decisions to make. He's a wonderful counselor. Maybe you just need strength to get through the day. He's mighty God. Maybe you are needing to know that God cares about you. He is your father in heaven who knows every hair on your head that's aware of every need that you have. Maybe you just need peace of mind this morning. He is the source of our peace. He's our prince of peace. And so Isaiah talking to these, these people in distress, he said, listen, yeah, it's dark right now, but there's a, there, there's a new day dawning. There's a new king coming. But then he gives one more promise, and I just want to point this out to you very quickly, and that is a new kingdom rising. There's a new kingdom rising. Look at verse seven. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. Underline that. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Underline that. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This new king that's bringing in a new day is going to reign over a new kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and justice. Now, let me just say, there is a problem with verse 7. There's a problem with Isaiah 9, verse 7. And here's the problem. Many times when I'm talking to people about Jesus, and particularly those who come out of a Jewish background, they'll say, okay, I got a problem here. Because you say that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And I'll say, right. And they'll say that here he is, you know, he's a newborn king and he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, he's God in flesh, right? And I'll say, right. And then they say, but verse seven says that when he comes, he's gonna establish a kingdom of righteousness and justice and will rule forever. That's what the Messiah does when he comes, he rules the earth. And yet when I look at my world, and when I see what's going on in the Middle East right now, and I see what's going on in the Ukraine right now, and I see what's going on in our own country right now, it doesn't look like anybody's reigning. 
I certainly don't see justice and righteousness. So Jesus can't be the Messiah because he's not doing what the Messiah was promised to do. Get, get the logic? Now that's a pretty good, pretty good problem. The issue with the question though is a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. Now you gotta get this, this is really important. When the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has both a now and not yet element to it. There is a sense that the kingdom of God is now, that Jesus has come, that the king has come, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he rose to the right hand. Ephesians 1 says he's ruling and reigning even now. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's orchestrating all things to their end. And now we preach the kingdom of God. We preach that there's joy in Jesus. We preach that there's hope in Jesus. Even now we're going out, we're sharing the gospel that he is the light of the world, right? The, the, the gospel is expanding to the nation. This is a time right now when the kingdom of God is moving and expanding. Jesus said the kingdom is like leaven that just works through the dome. And it's just kind of moving up. It's just growing. He said it's like a, a little seed that grows into this big tree. The kingdom of God is advancing and growing as the gospel is going out. So there's an element where the kingdom of God is at work now. But there is also a not yet part. Because there's coming a day in the future when Christ will come again. And when he comes again, that kingdom will be a literal kingdom on the earth. There will be a time of judgment and there will be a time uh, of putting away sin and evil and death. And he will rule and he will reign. So there's a now and there's a not yet. There was a time when Jesus came and he came as a baby. But, it, but one day he's going to come as a mighty king and conqueror. One time he came heralded as a savior. But now he's going to come as a king of kings and lord of lords. And one day he came in obscurity, but now every eye will see him when he comes again. One time he comes in poverty, he'll come on the, on the back of a horse with a crown on his head, right? The first time he comes to usher in a season of grace, that anyone can come to faith because he's paid the price. But the next time he comes, he comes in judgment. You understand that? Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is when he comes again. So there's not really a problem with Isaiah 9 verse 7. It just hasn't happened yet. He's coming. Isaiah 6 has happened. Isaiah 9, 6 has happened. But Isaiah 7 is yet to come. We're kind of living in between verse 6 and verse 7 right now. That's where we're living right now. And the reason why he waits, you know why he's waiting? You know why? You know why? So that you will have an opportunity to come to faith in him. He delays not because, uh, not because we deserve it. He delays because he's giving us another chance, another chance. And maybe he's giving you another chance to finally turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus. So here is the message, the song of Christmas. The song of Christmas is a song that begins in the dark. The prelude is found in the Old Testament. In the, to this depressed people, to the people that could not see any hope, he said, hey, a, a day is dawning and a king is coming and a kingdom is rising. It's all about Jesus. 
The song about Christmas is all about Jesus. Remember those songs that I showed you at the very beginning? Those five top 10 songs of Billboard magazine? Remember those five songs? You know what's missing in all these five songs? Jesus. They're all about Christmas, but they're not about Jesus. And I say that because the song of Christmas is all about Jesus. And you can easily, you and I, can easily go through this Christmas season that's coming on us and we can decorate our tree and we can buy our gifts and we can go to our office parties and we can decorate our house and we can go through all the things of the season. And if you're not careful, you can miss the song of Christmas, the real meaning of Christmas that points us to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you're here today and you're in a dark place. And um, you're in a, a place of doubt or discouragement, a place of hurt, loss. The song of Christmas is for you. Jesus came for you. And that's the hope of the gospel that Jesus came as a baby but he went to a cross and he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin he rose again he's coming again and this season of grace is an opportunity for you to turn to him in faith and what a tragedy would be to go through Christmas and miss the whole point to miss the whole point of it all it's all about Jesus and I want to give you an opportunity to place your trust and faith in Jesus right now. You may be here and you go to church, you believe in God, but you've never given your life to Christ. You can't point to a time when I know that I heard the gospel and I turned from my sin in repentance and I asked Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me. I want to give you a chance to do that right now, right where, you're, right where you are. And if you're here this morning, you say, you know, that's what I need. I need Christ. I really need Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to wash me clean, to make me new. I want to start over. I want to start over with him. And with your head spout, if you're here today, you say, that's me. And I want you just, Robert, you see it, just lift up your hand. And that just tells me, pastor, pray for me. And I'll pray for you right where you're seated. I'm not going to call you out, but I'll pray for you right where you're seated. But your hand lets me know who to be praying for. So right now, God's moving your heart. Just lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I want to be right with God. I don't want to miss Jesus this Christmas. All right, thank you. Thank you. I lift up your hand where I can see it one more time. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I want to get this right. All right. Okay. All right, you can put your hands down. Just pray with me, just right where you are. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I'm in a dark place spiritually. But I believe Jesus is the light of the world. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you to please wash me clean. Make me new. 
I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. And I choose today to follow you and to be your disciple as long as I live. Lord, thank you for loving me. Father, I thank you for Isaiah's testimony about the new day, the new king, the new kingdom. This is our hope. Lord Jesus, we've seen your glory, how your light dawned in the past. We see you at work, even now in our own lives. And Lord, we long for your coming. Even so, Lord, come. And Lord, we worship you. We worship you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name.